Enter the crib. Your strike back sit rep starts in three, two, one. Wait, do we go on zero? Hi, Meebers. Welcome back to the sit rep. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Deb. And we are going to talk about episode seven of Warrior. Oh, heck yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have an interview with Rich Ting, who plays, played Bolo. Oh. Um, we had more guys, so we hadn't seen uh, episode seven yet when we talked to him. So we definitely asked him about Bolo's future, <laughs> not knowing there was not going to be one. That so he didn't have one. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a bit of a shock. Um, so you will enjoy that. He, Rich, was super interesting, distractingly handsome, and just just an all around great guest. So we thank him for coming on. You'll enjoy that. Uh, as for episode seven, Deb, I know you're excited. Tom War. Oh my God, what an episode. And it was only, this is like an episode eight. Yeah. Everyone's moving up their episode eights now to earlier in the season. So I thought it started off, you know, kind of creepy with that whole sex slave auction thing going on with Atoy. And she, I mean, it was, I didn't know how to read that. Like she saved this girl, but then she's given her the bath. And she had a creepy look on her face. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. It gave you the sense that Atoy was sort of saving this girl because maybe she's from the same village or, um, you know, whatever, that she was saving her from a horrible purchase. But then it, I got a little creeped out when she was giving the girl a bath because when the girl was crying and Atoy just had that really creepy look on her face, like, I don't know what's going on here. This creeped me out. I was, ugh. and then moving into Penny Blake with her father. Oh my God. That was so disturbing. Yeah. So disturbing. Yeah. Like I have felt sorry for him. And that, but that, at that point I was like, oh no, screw you. No, no. What a horrible man. Yeah. What a horrible man. And she still went through with it too. That's what, oh. oh that was terrible. Yeah. It was disturbing. Oh. We could talk more about that. And I was, I mean, the fight we've all been waiting for between Bolo and Awesome, and then Bill, Bill kind of rallied and came through and he did it in the way that was like the right way. Yeah. As soon as those guys walked in, the um, the look on Bill's face, I'm like, okay, he's not going to turn him in. You know, like, like he just wanted to hear what the deal was. Yeah. And then, and I'm so, I was so happy I read Bill the correct way. And I loved that. I thought that was fantastic, that scene between the two of them. And then when the guys walked in, I mean, still, you know, playing with the rules a little bit, beating this guy all the smithereens. And Bill had a great line at the end of that that I just thought was fabulous. Bolo and Myling fight. Wow. That was vicious. There was a lot, a lot of viciousness. Yeah. And man, this was a packed episode. Oh, yeah. So, so, so much. So much. This really felt like a strike back episode. Like it just kept barreling forward. Yeah. And yet so much, a lot of important stuff with the dialogue. It wasn't just the action. There was a lot of important dialogue going on. So I I really thought it was a fantastic episode. And some good reveals. Like with Lee, I was like, yeah, I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote that down. Kelsey was right. <laughs> but, but God, hard to see though. I mean, and that felt very like when, when his slave or freed slave girlfriend got killed, I mean, you don't even see it happen. You see that sickle slice down and it still was like stomach turning. There was a lot 
of disturbing stuff that happened on this episode, but it was really, oh, it was so good. I, I don't know. There, there was a lot that happened. Yeah. You don't even know where to start because yeah. it was just, because every scene had something really important. Yeah. yeah. So how do you break it down? You know, I, I, mean, I had just... like double the notes from, from this episode yeah. than I have uh, before. So let's just jump in and okay. say fight of the night. I mean, it's, it's got to be Bolo and Assam, right? Bolo and Assam. Like, yeah, we've been waiting for it. We knew yeah. it was coming. It was it was horrible. Yeah. I mean, you just, oh, you knew Assam didn't want to have to do it, but there he is killing his sister. And so, yes. And, oh, my God, the look in Bolo's eyes when he was strangling her. Yeah. Oh, that was, that felt very out of character, too, though, because, like, oh, we and what we talked to, you guys will hear us talk to Rich later, is that Bolo is not a killer. He's only a killer because he has to be, when he has to be. So that, although I guess if he blames them for endangering his, like, adoptive father, but still, I was like, ooh. Oh, man. I think Bolo just goes to another place when he has to do that. Yeah. Because that was, that was just evil. Yeah. I mean, the look on his face was just evil. Like, he was enjoying it. It was intense. But, yeah, that was a phenomenal fight. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Was really cool to watch them both move. Like, I mean, that flying leap that Asan yeah. did at the beginning was impressive as hell. That was really cool. Yeah, it was very, very interesting. So we both and the we, whole thing. Yeah, the whole thing just went so quickly, and yeah, I've watched it several times now, and just the choreography is so precise. Yeah, and their their styles are different. Yeah, and Bolo, you know, Rich Ting is a much larger man. Oh yeah. So to to watch them, you know, to <laughs> Kelsey. Um, so it it was cool to watch Assam sort of play the physics of it in you know in grabbing Bolo in certain ways in order to keep him off balance yeah. and you know anticipating his moves because being a a, per, a bigger person who his moves were bigger and so they were easier to see coming. Yeah. So Assam being more you know, yeah. more quick was able to to see them coming and duck out of the way. And, yeah. and I mean, it was just, it was, it was beautiful and it was horrible at yeah. the same time. Yeah. But it was, it was cool. And I love because of the costuming that at times it was just a blur of black, black clothes limbs, you know, mm-hmm. that it was just this, like, I thought that was, was super cool. Of course I'm going like, where is Makati pants? Like why isn't he there guarding them? Because that would have been interesting, too. I would love to have seen Joe Taslam fight Rich Ting because he's not as big as him, but they're both so talented at their uh, martial arts that that would have, you know, those two fighting or their characters, obviously, fighting would have been an interesting. Plus, they're they're both so pretty, which would have been interesting, too. But (laughs) that's me just being dumb. So, okay, so that fight was good. Emotional moment of the night. What was yours? You know, there were so many, Kelsey. I, I was torn. I was torn between Lee and Bill's conversation when Lee was explaining what happened and My Ling and Long Z when she killed him. Yeah. So just because I love Bill so much and I love Lee so much, I'm going, final answer, <laughs> Lee explaining what's going on to Bill. Final yeah. answer on emotional moment. Okay. I just felt so bad for Lee. Oh my yeah. God, the pain on his face. And Bill, you know, just sitting there thinking, hmm, okay, I'm not going to take the money. I'm going to take the man. 
And I just, uh, I really hope, I really hope this is a turning point, Bill. Come on. Yeah, I hope so. Use it to be the nice guy. Because you did the right thing for the right reason. And that line where he said... A man shouldn't pay for doing the right thing. It's actually the line right after that. A man shouldn't pay for doing the right... Even if he might have gone about it the wrong way. He was talking about himself there. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree that he was talking about himself. That that was, uh, you know, that was a good, that was an important line. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping it's a turning point for him. Yeah, I hope so too. I, I really liked <laughs> when Lee said, tells the police they're wanted for murder. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's true. That yeah. was great. That was funny. I wrote, so. I wrote that down. It's like, okay, even at this like do or die moment, there's still this great banter between the two yes. of them. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. Yeah, it I was great. Um, so I actually, yeah, your second place was my emotional moment with my Ling and Long Z. I mean, that was, he was so accepting of it, you know? And when he said like, I'm glad it's you. And she was just, she was devastated. And, and heartbroken and having such a hard time with that. And when, when she's crying and he accepts it and then he says, they have no idea who they're dealing with, do they? And she says, they will. And I got chills. Yeah. And then let me just plunge this. Yeah, this, this is like sword into you. So. Sword into your gut. Yeah. And yeah. then your heart. Yeah. So that was mine. All right. So what the fuck moment? No, I, my what the fuck moment was, was Mylene killing Long Z. Yeah, that, actually, that was my what the fuck moment, too. I have it written as both uh, emotional and what the fuck. Just because it was, like, it was heartbreaking, but also, like, <laughs> I knew this was coming. I can't believe it happened. Although, I guess that would also be for Bolo. That also was, like, a, I thought this would happen later, not in episode seven. Exactly. exactly. Um, I mean, obviously, you guys, we knew that Bolo, you know, at the very least was, didn't come back for some reason, but we assumed he was killed because Rich isn't over there filming right now. Yeah. So we knew Bolo was a goner one way or another, but we were hoping for episode 10, yeah, not episode 7. Exactly, but right? what a gloriously awful send-off. <laughs> Something. All right, so then questions moving forward. For me, I'm going to say... At what point does Penny draw the line with her dad? And does he actually get his contract from her whoring herself out? Is Bill going to be on a path of redemption? And what is up with Ah Toy and this girl that she's now rescued? You know, what is that connection? Where is that going to lead? And you, what are your questions? Questions going forward. I'm hoping that the opening scene of next week is just them going from warrior, you know, the warrior logo right into that tong war in the middle of the street because that was one of the best endings of a television show i've ever seen i mean you could just feel how awful that situation is i mean there's just like nowhere for them to go yeah and they're running to their deaths or being hacked up or oh my god and damn jason tobin was good in that scene yes oh man i mean the look on his face he just went into full beast mode yeah. and then there's a hottie mccotty pants on the other side just standing there <laughs> you know burning up the screen it's <laughs> freaking amazing in fact i posted to jason that he just entered hottie mccotty pants level gravitas <laughs> on screen oh my god just i mean it was like so quiet and then he just face just yeah. morphed into that 
just like death scream. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then they, all of them just running toward each other in that confined space yeah. of the, of the yeah. street. And was the, just and unbelievable. then just black and then that the sound. That was just wild. That was really cool. So that, you know, that's not really a question, but that's what I'm hoping to see. Questions moving forward, same as yours. I was just, oh, I was so disappointed that Penny did that. Mm. You know, I mean, she had to drug herself to do that. And then oh, the mayor is just so vile. And, you know, save yourself, Penny. Just save yourself. Don't just walk away from this. It's just so awful. And yeah, no respect for the father. And you know he's not going to get that contract. You know, it's just, it's not going to yeah. happen. So poor Penny's just done this for naught. And it just infuriates me. So that's a question. And mailing and McHotty pants. Where's that going? I mean, yeah. clearly they're they're a team. And yet she made that remark about not knowing who the, who the t- tiger really is. And the look on his face when she said that was a little perplexing. So are they, does he really feel that they're a secure team or does he think he's expendable? So I didn't think she said she didn't know who the tiger, I thought she said today we will remind them who the tiger really is. Well, I guess I meant that she didn't say that, I think they, didn't she say something like all, all along nobody knew who the tiger really was? No, she like her. She was saying Long Z was a tiger, but because he'd been weak, people had been taking advantage of him. I think I don't know that she. Um, but regardless, yeah, it's it's interesting. Of course, I was kind of laughing when they were having that discussion because I was thinking about in the beginning when he fought Assam, and I was like, he fights like a tiger. <laughs> That's true, <laughs> you know, because he oh he's so like that powerful grace. You know, so I can't <laughs> wait to see them fight again. That will be interesting. Assuming he's hacked to death on the streets. Oh, God. He can't be. Don't do it, Cinemax. We know he's back. So, So, uh, yeah. I mean, all in all, a great episode. Up next, Rich Ting. We're not at Xville. Stay with us at the crib. Hey, welcome back, Meebers. We are here to review episode six and to introduce our guest for today's podcast, which is who is Rich Ting, who plays Bolo on Warrior, and who kicks a major ass in this week's episode, if you didn't happen to know that he has been in a lot of other things in American television as well, my favorite of which was The Man in the High Castle, but also Waco, and you performed as a stunty in Green Hornet, correct? Yes, I actually... Well, first, hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. Um, We're just going to jump right in, I guess. Yes, Uh, we are. Yeah. Yeah, I actually started my career uh, 100% in stunts and um, completely embraced that opportunity just because, you know, a lot of people don't understand that or aren't aware that stunts and acting are apples and oranges when you get in the industry. I'm grateful for my intro to the business through stunts. I think it's one of the most humbling and um, educational ways to come into the entertainment world, especially to a live set. Uh, to transition, obviously, from stunts. Um, I never really had the passion to be a, a professional stuntman. It, opportunity basically presented itself, and and I took it head on just as an intro to the business, knowing that you know I had been studying acting and working on my craft at the same time, and that whenever I received that opportunity to cross over full-time, I would definitely take it. But in the meantime, why not be on a, on a major motion picture set like the Green Hornet, like G.I. Joe, like a lot of other 
A-list films that I was able to participate in as a stuntman just because it was such it was such a tremendous amount of learning for me. And I was just a sponge and I soaked it all up. So yes. Well, I imagine that your your stunties on a warrior really appreciate you having that familiarity with that as they're planning your fights and your stunts and stuff like that. Does it help you with that? Oh, definitely. And you know, one thing I you know, I always tell people is that because I, you know, I was introduced to the business through stunts, I have a tremendous amount of respect for these stunt guys and these coordinators and these second unit directors. They're, they're the first guys on set, last ones to leave. They're the ones doing the most setup. Um, they, they work so hard. I mean, of course, they get to shoot guns and do cool action shots, but they're the ones setting up all the safety regulations before and tearing it all down after. Um, they do all the grind work behind the scenes. And so now that I get to, you know, be in these other shoes as an actor, I like to give the stunt guys a break, honestly. You know what I mean? If I don't, if, if they don't, if I don't need them, if I don't need my double, then I want him hanging out and relaxing and recovering because obviously, you know, these guys put their bodies through a lot of uh, hard physical conditions. I mean, so do we as actors, but these guys are the ones that are really wrecking and really taking those hard falls and, and no one's helping them up. You know what I mean? They help us up all the time. You know what I mean? They got they have a lot of refreshments for us. And and just knowing the stunt side, I, I, I give them all the credit in the world. At the same time, I, I, I have to embrace all the education, all the knowledge I picked up from all these huge stunt coordinators that I worked with. Just because now as an actor, I you know before I used to train actors to fight. And now that I'm you know, I can do it full time as an actor and now I'm working with professional stunt guys. It's already like we've danced this dance before. And there's a huge amount of trust that's involved in these action scenes and obviously in any in any action sequence. And I think, um, you know, that resonates right away when you kind of when you get on set, even if you don't know the stunt guys, you know, obviously on a show like Warrior, we're going to get the best of the best. And, um, you know, it's cool because we stretch out, we, you know, we meet and greet and then we start working it out. And I think, you know, just like I trust them right off the bat, hopefully they get that same vibe from me. And I think that's where the magic really happens. You know, it's 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 basically like the chemistry we have amongst actors on on Warrior. We all got along on and off set, and I think that really resonated on camera. Same with the stunt guys. We were very in tuned. We had the proper time to rehearse and to perform. And I think when the camera was rolling, it was evident that we were very comfortable. I think we might have fooled a lot of people. It looked like we worked together for a long time, which we obviously haven't. This was my first time working with Brett Chan, our stunt coordinator, and his whole team. But it was it was fantastic. No one no one got seriously injured, uh, especially on a show like this where there's so much fighting and so much action. Uh, you're gonna get you're gonna get bumps and bruises, uh, but but that was definitely kept to a minimum. Wow, that that actually really does surprise me. Obviously, this was a big episode for Bolo. Um, and we are here because we love action, but you can't have action without the quiet moments. And that I think is what Cinemax does so well in all their series. It's what set Strike Back apart was that, yeah, it was all this action, but it had really meaningful quiet moments. And I think outside of this episode, two episodes ago, you had some, a, it was a quick scene, but it was a pretty important character development scene for you with Jun, um, young June talking about Bolo's past. There was at one point where he started, you know, sort of making fun of, of your past and really grinding it in that you were just a, just an outright killer. And the look on your face, on Bolo's face, was just devastating. And that's what I think sets Cinemax 
drama action shows apart is that we get those real human emotions. And I'm wondering how much of that we're going to get in Bolo as we go forward, because we just saw him go into full ass kicking mode, (laughs) (laughs) which was amazing, by the way. Um, How much more of that emotional Bolo are we going to get? I mean, like, you know, I've mentioned this uh, throughout throughout the season on, you know, on other interviews and other and other podcasts and whatnot that, you know, it's going to pick up, you know, and, and, and first of all, thank you for uh, identifying those those quiet moments, as you put it, you know, with Bolo, because as Bolo and when I was, you know, doing this film, when we were filming this show, it's so different when we're on the day filming and we get to take those beats and we really get to settle in and, and have those special moments that just happen, you know, in front of the camera. What, what, what we actors don't control are the editing and the post-production side of it. You know, so a lot of times, unfortunately, a lot of these moments, quote unquote, that, that I've had and other actors have had, and, and we're so excited about them on the day, they, might, they may not necessarily make the final edit, you know, which, which mm-hmm. sucks, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of other factors. We have time, we have storyline, and, and we have time again, right? So the cool thing is, number one, thank you for, for identifying that because that, that means the world to me because I really – that scene obviously took a lot longer to film than the actual final edit showed, mm-hmm. you know? And, and what I wanted to reveal through Bolo in that scene was basically the fact that – let me go off on a tangent real quick and I'll come back. Everyone, when they hear Warrior, the Bruce – you know, written by Bruce Lee, the first, I think, wrong – perception of warrior is that it's going to be a docudrama about Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. You know, I think quickly the fans and, and the viewers realize that, you know, this is something Bruce Lee envisioned. He created and he wrote granted, if it was done in the seventies, when he was still alive, he would have most likely played awesome, the lead. And most likely the Bolo character would have been the real Bolo young at the time. Right. So now you fast forward knowing that, okay, it was written. It's an idea. Andrew Koji is not trying to replicate Bruce Lee, Rich Ting is not trying to replicate Bolo, but in fact, we're just tributing the entire experience and the entire storyline to the legend himself, Bruce Lee. That being said, traditionally, Bolo Young's character throughout all of his films throughout the past, which made him so famous, was the fact that he really just had one color. You know, he was the brutal, mean, scary guy that had minimal lines and basically grunted and yelled more than anything else throughout his shows. But that made him world famous because of his stature and just his overall vibe. Justin, Danielle Woodrow, what Jonathan Tropper and Shannon Lee all emphasized to me at the beginning of this process was, look, we don't want you to replicate Bolo, the real Bolo Young. We've cast you for Rich Ting. If you want to attribute anything to Bolo, please do. So once I got that freedom, I took a step back and I said, you know what? I'm so excited for this opportunity and so humbled to play another real life character, you know, through film that I'm going to attribute this guy, not in the way people would think as far as, oh, maybe he'll just do some kind of antics or maybe he'll do a move that's famous from Enter the Dragon or Bloodsport. What I wanted to do is give Bolo a complete life, a complete character. I wanted to show multiple facets of his of his whole personality that maybe he really had, but just wasn't able to show it in the past. So in order to honor this man, who is such a legend to me and so many other people, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna make this guy a real human being. He's gonna have feelings, he's gonna have vulnerability, he's gonna obviously be able to kick ass. At the same time, you're gonna really find out that maybe this guy isn't a killer. 
by nature. And that's exactly what I wanted to convey in that scene was that, you know, because of my physicality, because of my natural ability to fight, I've been thrown in these situations in the past in Warrior, for example, fighting on this underground intercontinental railroad circuit, you know, and basically which, you know, the, the, uh, the upper class white majority created in order to make money and basically for their entertainment. It's basically like a gladiator moment, right. you know, of the Wild West, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, in doing that, my choice was Bolo did not come, and, that, and it's obviously stated in the script, to the U.S., to San Francisco, to the West Coast to fight. He came over to work on the railroads like a lot of other Chinese did at the time to make money to send back to China. That being said, one thing leads to another and he gets in a situation and someone exposes his ability to fight. And then that's taken advantage of. The only thing that saves him is the fact that Father June, who comes from San Francisco to Utah to see him fight because of like this whole yellow, the legend of the yellow demon. That moment is basically when Bolo becomes saved. Father June saves him, even though he quote unquote buys him. Yeah. Bolo takes it as he saved me from having to do this on a weekly basis for entertainment purposes. Also to survive, you know, because I'm mm-hmm. sure predicaments in which there are dilemmas in which either you fight or you're, you're not making money. So fast forward, now Bolo goes back to San Francisco and he's given clothes, he's given food. He obviously has a completely new GQ look. He has a <laughs> You know what I mean? He's not this savage Tarzan looking guy that we saw in the flashback, you know? And again, at that table, I call it the, the Hopway Tong cafeteria, right? At table, um, when we're talking story, you know, Young June and Bolo have an extended history. You know, they've probably known each other since their late teens. They have a bond. I made the choice as well as some of the writers made the choice that Bolo is more of a son to Father June than Young June is, even though Young June is blood. My loyalty is to Father June. I, out of respect to Father June, I have to deal with his crazy kid, Young June, right? And in doing that, Young June knows the backstory, and that's why he kind of stabs me in front of Assam about, hey, this is this is the Yellow Demon. He's a legend, right? And that's something I want to leave in the past. And that moment that you just talked about at the beginning of this question um, is so important because I wanted to convey that, hey, you know what? I'm not proud of that moment. I'm not proud of that past. That past, however, got me to this table, you know, and for that, I'm grateful for it. But by no means are we going to talk about that. So you need to, you need to, quote unquote, shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's why that comes out at the way it comes out, you yeah. know. And um, hopefully, like, well, if you guys were able to pick that up, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping other people were. You know, but the main the main highlight of that of that conversation at that at that cafeteria table is literally that Bolo is not a fighter. It's a product of him just being gifted with this ability to fight. Although I will say in episode six, he looked like a fighter. But what you're talking about (laughs) with him feeling saved, his loyalty, you know, and, and seeing the man who saved him almost die, I imagine, brings out that rage and, and we saw such a different side of him. But I wanted to ask, can you tell us a little bit about what it means to you to play Bolo and your sort of history with that? Yes. Um, well, just real quick, you touched on another huge, huge issue with, you know, with playing Bolo right there, was, which is the fact that, you know, if you've been following the season one so far up into episode six, you, you realize you know, Bolo really hasn't done much fighting in the present time of the show up until episode six. 
And it kind of goes with this whole personality and even his style of fighting. And the style of fighting that we specifically chose to, to, to have him be trained in for Warrior was the Hungar Gong Fu style, which for those of you that don't know, it's basically philosophized as minimum movement with maximum impact. And that's basically Bolo's style of lifestyle, I should say. He doesn't move unless he has to move. And when he moves, he moves. So that's why even in the pilot, he doesn't get up to greet Wang Chao or Asham when they first, and Young Jun does. He only gets up when he's insulted by this foreign guy who's on their territory in front of their Tong, literally. In episode two, he does that opening fight scene with the when they intercept the molasses from the Long Z because that's a Father June order. That's a direct mm -hmm. order from the man, right? The flashback is a flashback. And then in episode six, you see him literally, as I call, you know, unleash the dragon because someone just tried to take him and his dad out, you know, his savior. So that's why Bolo goes into beast mode in episode six. It just sucks that, you know, there was only nine guys. If there was 15, maybe it would have been. <laughs> So. Yeah, but I think you got seven of them, didn't you? Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I love I, that line. Quite, God know, damn, I, Bolo. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, but no, now back to your other question. Sorry to go off on tangent. I just wanted to make that um, explanation heard. Yes, I do have an extended history with Bolo. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've told this story before, and those of my, my close friends and family obviously laugh every time I bring it up. But when I was young, I grew up in a, in a very traditional American household. Um, I'm fourth generation Asian American. My parents did not speak anything other than English. And so in doing that, they raised me in playing football, basketball, baseball, and track, and really emphasized the athletics at, um, during my youth. Uh, thank God, because I was able to play football in college, which was my first dream. But in doing that, I was usually the only Asian kid on all my athletic teams outside of my martial arts world. And I was a bigger kid when I was young. and and one of the only Asian kids on all these other teams. And so naturally, you know, as kids do, they, uh, they try to stab you and poke you, you know, at things that you may not be uh, comfortable with. And, you know, during that era, that's when Enter the Dragon really was mainstream and you had Bruce Lee and you had Bolo, you know, and, and everyone used to call me Bolo. And I used to hate it because I wanted to be Bruce Lee. I loved Bruce. I embraced him. He's the reason why I began studying martial arts at the age of four. And Bolo was just the big muscle meathead guy that was scary. And for some reason, everyone decided I was more Bolo than Bruce. So as I got older and into college, um, and, and obviously I played football in college, so I was obviously the, my biggest I've ever been uh, physically in college, all my teammates used to call me Chung Lee because at that time, even though Bloodsport with Jean-Claude Van Damme was more of an 80s flick, it had kind of had a renaissance during the time I was in college and everyone was watching it again. And Chung Lee, played by the real Bolo Young, was the, you know, the main uh, antagonist, so to speak. And everyone was like, you know, Rich, you're the biggest Asian dude I know. You're like Chung Lee. So once again, this Bolo notion, this Bolo character continued to follow me. Decades later, my, 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 my management, my agent, my team, we get the call that Warrior would like to consider me for the role of Bolo. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, that was the first time I completely embraced 
<laughs> I was like, you know what? I think this is more than a coincidence. And uh, I think it's about time I just uh, stop fighting this guy mentally and I embrace him and I'm going to do him justice. And I'm going to I'm going to bust my ass to represent this man, this legend, as best as I can, as best as I can. Uh, I've never been more humbled and more flattered and more honored to play a character like Bolo. And and I thank everyone behind the scenes for that opportunity. I wanted to ask you about, so you played football at Yale, correct? You graduated yep. with like a BA and then got your MBA and then became an stuntian actor. So at what point were you like, nah, I'm not going to go make all this money, you know, um, doing business. I'm going to just go out to Hollywood and give it a shot. It's very like scary yeah. business. It, it, it's been a journey to say the least. Uh, you know, my first childhood dream was to play collegiate football at the division one level, uh, being a West coast kid born and raised in LA. And I went to high school in San Francisco. You know, I really wasn't looking at schools at the time, any West of the PAC 10, you know, currently mm-hmm. I believe it's the PAC 12, but you know, I had my eyes set on Stanford, maybe Cal, you know, maybe UCLA, you know, if they offered me. Um, but by no means was, was, I, what was I going to head east of California, let's say. And so, then you got out here and went, yay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, and I, and I, I just, I remember my mom telling me, you know, especially when the Ivy league schools came after me recruiting wise. And, you know, I had been offered admission to all the Ivy leagues, um, fortunately based on my numbers and my athleticism that, you know, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. You should definitely take it. And, you know, at the time when you're 18, you don't realize exactly how how significant that is. I remember just kind of being overwhelmed. Is it Harvard? Is it Yale? Is it Princeton? Is it Brown? Is it Columbia? You know, and, and, and now looking back, I was like, wow, I was a very fortunate person. Um, but then, you know, like I said, you're 18. I, I'm more I'm more focused on other things. <laughs> Than, than college at the time. Um, so, but I'm so grateful that I made that decision because I really grew up and, and I, I, what I like to say is I became a man in New Haven, Connecticut, uh, just due to my surroundings and whatnot. So, um, you know, the first dream to play football in college was accomplished. I've had this, what I call it, the fantasy to be an actor ever since I was four years old because I used to idolize people like Bruce Lee, obviously, and even entertainers like Michael Jackson. I mean, I mean, I can't sing, but man, if I could, I would be, and if I could dance, I would be moonwalking just to the gym, to the store, whatever. <laughs> I idolized those kind of guys, you know, especially in the eighties when I was growing up and, you know, it was always in the back of my head and, 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 you know, things happen for a reason is what I always say. And being at Yale and, and playing football, which is a full-time job there and majoring in the humanities and doing my pre-med, I never had the opportunity to fully divulge into the theater program at Yale. By no means was I 18, 19, 20, 21 years old thinking, oh, you know what? This is what's going to happen. I'm going to graduate here, go to law school, go to business school, and then I'm going to throw all that away and then go into acting. You know what? And maybe had I known that, I would have maybe switched lanes a little bit and focused more on the theatrical side. But but just being on a campus like Yale where it's so intimate, and you know, that is part of the huge experience that they, you know, that they are proud of to offer their students because right. they st- keep the student body so small. Mm-hmm. I had friends that were singers, that were musicians, that were actors, that were theater actors, you know, and and that was the first time that 
I was exposed to such highly trained and motivated artists, let's say. So I, I gained a whole nother level of appreciation for that. And I really think that's a huge bonus um, without knowing it at the time. I actually didn't know what I wanted to do after that. So, you know, one thing my parents always have preached to me is just don't stop whatever you're mm-hmm. going to just keep doing something. Stay, stay positive, stay proactive and just stay, stay current, you know? And so then I thought, okay, my dad's a doctor. I don't want to do that. My, my way of honoring him was fulfilling all my pre-med requirements. So I could go to med school if I wanted to. And the thing that really interested me was law. So I went to law school and just kind of the guy I am, I was like, well, if I'm in law school and I'm not playing football, I'm going to have all this time. I wonder if I can get into the MBA program. So I ended up just kind of looking for joint programs that would have me. And, and luckily, I was able to get into a joint program. And, you know, again, at the time, I had no idea. Looking back, having that legal education, having that MBA education, being able to work in business groups to do projects, being able to look at a brief, discover the issue, and argue it in front of your class, in front of a mock trial, in front of a judge. I mean, these were all early preparations for me to do what I'm doing currently. You know, so, so people always ask me that question. It's like, why would you do that? You know, at the same time, I kept up my athleticism and my martial arts. So when you look at the whole thing now, you know, you know hindsight is twenty twenty. you know, what they always say. And I was preparing for this my entire life. You know, and and all these things were just tools in my toolbox and things that I keep in my back pockets. You know, an example is I never I never advertise that I'm a martial artist. You know, that's something very private to me. That's just, you know, what I've been. That's my foundation. And that's kind of what I've been raised in, in the mentality. However, if they need me to kick and punch, I can kick and punch at the same time. If they you know, if 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 a legal character, if a business character comes up, I've really done that. I've worked at a firm. I've really negotiated deals. You know, I've really been in the courtroom where people's lives are on the line, you know. So to me, I don't have to, quote unquote, get into character for those. You know, those are things that I just think about. You know, it's like when I was in high school, there's a lot of things I pull from in high school. You know, parts of Bolo, for example, are very me much in, from high school. You know, at the same time, when I get into these other characters where there's a lot more, uh, I would say, ac- academic, you know, necessity. I mean, I'm basically a nerd, you know what I mean, when you look at my whole overall educational experience. So, so to me, it was, it was like, it was in a weird way natural for me to kind of progress and transition into the entertainment industry once that opportunity came up, you know, and luckily, uh, it came up when I decided to take a job at a firm in LA. And I, that's the reason why mm-hmm. I came to LA. It's it, it's been a journey to say the least, you know. I can't. I, I wish I could be like I had this planned all out. <laughs> I can't say that 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 would be the biggest lie ever. So it's just uh, it's just worked out very very um, and I've been lucky. So it's really interesting listening to you talk about this because my background is is kind of similar in that it's just like oh the next thing came along that I think is really cool and I'm gonna do it. Oh, you know, yeah. moving from sports medicine to university administration to theater management and being a a stage manager and 
now just kind of doing my own thing and doing these podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> and it, and it really is like you've nothing that you've done in the past is ever a waste because it does all prepare you for where you are now. But at some point you had to start taking acting lessons. So tell us about how did you make that transition into just doing the deep dive into becoming an actor and really, um, you know, learning the craft and then taking the next step to saying, okay, I'm ready to, to really go for it. Her, great question. Um, to be honest, it really started when I was in elementary school because, you know, we had a drama department and, you know, it was more of a, a requirement to participate in these school plays and musicals and whatnot. And even though I was totally not, like I said, I wanted to be Bruce Lee. I didn't want to play this character that sings a song, right? So, you know, that was my first introduction to just being on stage. And and I actually was very comfortable just due to my martial art de uh, demo team presentation and stuff like that, being, being an athlete in front of fans, in front of a crowd, I, I was very comfortable. So, you know, as I got older, and especially like I said earlier with Yale, um, and, and just being in that in that whole drama department at Yale being so contagious and just kind of resonating throughout the campus. You know, I was I felt like I was always attached to it. And I would always you know, I, I never just watch to watch. I watch to really absorb mm -hmm. and learn because I feel like, hey, it's a free lesson. Like I might as well get something from this, you know. But to be honest, I really didn't dive into the full training of the craft and the technique um, until I was in law school and business school. Again, people don't believe me, but. I always say like when you're when you're when you're a full-time division 1 college athlete going mm -hmm. full-time it's more than a job. Yes. Like, yes. You're also going through life as an 18, 19, 20-year-old, you know? So I never want to do that again, I'll tell you that. Like I mean, I don't have the energy to to juggle all those balls so to speak, you know? And so um, once I got into law school and business school and I had classes from, you know, A to B and then at night C to D and I was like, oh my God, like, what do I do with all this time? You know what I mean? And that's when I, as I call it, my yoga at the time was going to acting classes and, uh, and that's before yoga was a big thing. Right. So <laughs> I figured, Hey, I'm going to work out in the morning. I'm going to go to law classes and then I'm going to go to business classes at night. But I can go to these, I can go to acting class too, you know, maybe once or twice a week and just, you know, worse and worse, just sit in a theater and watch people perform and listen to their critiques and listen to, you know, their backstory and their prep. And so that's what, that's when it actually started for me. And then, you know, slowly I started getting into the commercial world and the modeling world on the side. And that kind of intersected finally at one point uh, when I came back to L.A., to take a job at a firm and that that's when the whole stunt thing came up just because uh you know I, I have friends and family that are involved in the stunt world and and they've always kept track of my uh i would say my current state at the time you know whether it was my my you know my height my image my athleticism my martial arts background and i i, I got invited to to audition for for a character at warner brothers in 2007 and that just kind of I obviously accepted the job once I got it and switched and switched gears. And that was when it kind of that was the kind of the intercept, the, you know, that crossroads that I that I decided, OK, I'm going to try this, you know. But with that, just being in L.A. and being in the industry at the time, that's I'd already dove into the training of it. So I just continued it through. But now, you know, it's like anything else. You can you can be textbook savvy all day long. 
You can have all the degrees and all the acronyms by your name, but until you jump into the real world of that problem or that or that industry, sometimes a classroom doesn't mean anything. You know, mm -hmm. to me, I was studying, acting, taking classes, but the things that we focus on in class, you never learned about once until you got onto a real life set. You know, and and I always say that about business because you know in business school and law school. The people that are in class are there because they want to be there. You know, when, once right. you get to the real world, your coworkers may not really want to be there with you every day. You know what I mean? And so in that sense, it was really this, it was really a parallel universe where I was like, wow, I would have never learned this had I not been on a real set in which it's costing millions of dollars to run and you better not mess up. You right. know? That's the long answer to that question. So hopefully I covered everything in that. <laughs> you did. So we wanted to ask you, because you do a really cool thing. Uh, after every Warrior episode, you do what's now called Warrior After Dark, right? You do your live Instagram chat with everyone. And what sort of, what brought that on? How did, how did that come to be? It's been such a great surprise to do this. And, and you're right, it's called Warrior After Dark. And I do it every... Friday night after both showings of the East Coast and the West Coast of Warrior. You know, I've never been a social media guy. And it's funny because I can look back on my past with social media and be like, oh, that's when I was filming that movie and I was so bored on my days off. I think that's when I joined Facebook, you know? And then another film was like, oh my gosh, I think that's when I joined Twitter, right? <laughs> I just, I just haven't, I've gotten better with it. But, you know, but naturally, I'm just a private kind of person. And so to kind of put my life out there in the world, first of all, I, I, I honestly didn't think I'm like, no one's going to care what I do. Like, no one cares. I'm going to set right now. No one cares. I'm doing this right now. And then as I started working more, I was like, people do care in a weird way. And I was like, why do they care? Like, I don't like, th you know, this, this isn't really that interesting, you know, like what I'm doing. And so to get all the way to the point where I'm at now, which is, you know, I have a great fan base on Instagram, a great following. I didn't want to go live, you know, and, and so many like of my, you know, my, my PR team was like, Hey man, I think you should go live. It would be great to connect with the fans. And, and I'm like, Oh, I'm totally open to connecting the fans, but can we do it through another way? Is there another channel? You know, it's it, like, can we just do like podcasts? Can we do meet, meet and greets? And they're like, you know, it'd be so cool. It's just, it, this Instagram live is such an intimate experience. Um, it's very intimidating though, because everyone can see me, but right. I can't see anyone. So, and the stuff scrolling so fast. <laughs> you know, it just, I've never gone live before. And so I remember after the pilot or leading up to the pilot, I was like, you know what, let me, let me try this. And I, and I promised myself, I said, okay, if, if, give it five minutes. If no one comes on five minutes, I'm just going to laugh and be like, that was fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> And um, because, you know, at the time I didn't know who was going to tune in to the to the first yeah. week of Warrior. And, um, you know, that's such a reflection of us as a cast, you know, is because we're doing this amazing Asian-American Western, the first ever this, the first ever that. We're breaking so many barriers, you know, through this show. But because we're we filmed in Cape Town, South Africa, and we're literally physically removed mm -hmm. from the U.S. And we got along so well, it, it was it was like, no one's going to care about this. You know, we were like, we go to work, we do this. That was a great day. You know, let's grab food and go home and tomorrow we'll be back. And, you know, no one really took themselves seriously, you know, in, in a good way, you know, mm -hmm. 
all committed to the to the show, to what we do, our job, you know. But other than that, we weren't sitting there going, "Oh man, the world's gonna love this." Like that was just <laughs> absurd to us. You know what I mean? So, in in coming from that kind of background to episode one, and and I'm about to go live on Instagram, and and then all of a sudden people started tuning in, and people started asking questions, and I was like, I was so like. I, I was so emotional because I, I just didn't expect that. And then I think the first time I did it, we did it for like 30 or 40 minutes. And I was like, okay, that's great, guys. Thank you for tuning, tuning in. I'll see you guys next week. And then I got all these messages after like, why did you, why did you cut it so short? You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I'm like, okay, I didn't know people really were digging it. You know what I mean? So it's grown and it's crazy now. Yeah. I've developed these relationships, you know, on, on social media with these diehard fans that, who are, who are so impressive to me, like the, the, the their attention to detail and mm -hmm. the time they devote to, to watching our show and, and really thinking about the show, you know, to me, I, I just, you know, we're, we're the actors doing it. So we have to create a backstory. We got to dive in. We got to commit 150% of our life to this. Right. But I'm like, these are other people that have lives, that have kids, that have significant others, that have work. You know what I mean? And there's so- Yes, we do. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it blows my mind to this day. So that's really how After Warrior After Dark got created. And, and it's been going fantastic. And I'm already anticipating, like, we only have, I think, what, four more episodes to go in the uh, season? Yeah. I'm like, now I'm like, great. I'm attached to these fans now. I, what's next? You know what I mean? So now it's like, I feel like, you know, it's like, you know, they say like, you know, I'm a dog guy. So they always say, you know, once you have a dog and you know, that dog passes, like, do you want to get another dog? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that whole, like, do you want to go through that again? And I already went through warrior the show and, and, and I'm, and I'm so, what is the word? I'm just so sad in a weird way that season one, we already finished season one. Let them, now we kickstarted this thing and now I have this after dark show. So what's going to happen in four weeks? You know what I mean? So Tr trust me, we understand yeah. being a strike back podcast. <laughs> we were like, what do we do next? I mean, this is yeah. really well. Let's we, watch we, this we new show. Yeah. <laughs> so no, it, it's been fantastic. It's, it was such a spontaneous, uh, unplanned decision. And I'm so happy. I, I decided to go live that first week and, and, um, yeah, I'm just, it's, it's, it's just so humbling. You know, people have opened up to me, you know, on, on social media about, about just their lives and how much the show means to them. And this is the first time I've been in that situation. You know, it's, it's, it's a tremendous honor, you know? So, yeah. You know, there's, you hear so much about all the negative about social media and the really, really good stuff that happens on social media. You never really hear about but it's exactly this sort of thing that you can experience on social media and you can make real friendships and really impact people's lives. And with just a little thing like a podcast or an IG live. So, so kudos, it's a fun show. And yeah, we only have four more weeks to try to get some swag. So yeah. start looking for our, <laughs> for our profile. Yeah. Um, Definitely. It's funny listening to you talk about that, that sense of isolation while you're filming and <clears throat> being so far removed and being in South Africa. And that's a gorgeous photo in the back of you, by the way. Um, that is and, Africa, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, because we heard the exact same story from 
every cast of Strike Back that you're you're isolated, you're grill, you know, you're going through this grueling marathon of filming this really intense show, and um, you're all together um, for you know six seven months, and you have no idea what's going on in the rest of the world, and then all of a sudden, oh my God, these these people are really into this, you know, like what's going on, and how what a revelation it is when you come out of that sense of isolation. But it also is a marathon while you're filming. And um, in a discussion once with Philip Winchester, we asked him, you know, for some questions we could ask a different member of Strike Back. And he said one thing he really likes to ask anybody who's been on Strike Back, and which we are continuing now to ask the cast of Warrior, is to reflect on that marathon that you went through because it's such a grind, but you're also really in it together. Mm -hmm. And what was your season high? and your season low that's a tough question because i can't give away spoilers so i'm going to answer it in a different way okay you see you know one of the one of the highlights would be a spoiler so i can't talk about that quite yet but yeah you're correct you know and everyone you know obviously from strike back probably resonates the same the same the same notion in that you know never never in my life would i imagine going to south africa to work you know, especially in a place like Cape Town, you know, which, you know, they call it the mother city. And, and, you know, it's where Nelson Mandela was and, you know, where he was in prison. And, you know, obviously it's, an, you know, the history of apartheid there. And there's just so much culture and so much history in that country that I always tell people, I went to South Africa to film a TV show. I did not go to South Africa to learn about the history, the culture, the politics, the economics, and the social layers, let's say, of their country and society. However, I came back with a knowledge and an education of all those things without even trying to study that stuff, you know? And, and that, that, I think, probably is the highlight, to be honest with you, because, again, I'm, I'm such an academic nerd, you know, undercover, basically, that my sensors are always on, you know, and, and ironically to, to be in, in such an historic country where apartheid existed, where it was abolished, where, um, Nelson Mandela was from, where he was in prison, where he died. I mean, words can't explain that. I can't tell mm -hmm. you that about that experience. You have to go there and feel it yourself. There's something in the air. There's something in the people. It's, it's an energy all over that place. A lot of times I think a lot of tourists discuss and talk about Cape Town because of Table Mountain, because of because of um, Camps Bay and the, and the beautiful beaches and and the penguins and and, you know, and, and the, the Cape of Good Hope and and wine country and all those cool things, you know, and, and those are all fantastic and mind blowing just due to their vicinity and, and, and closeness to each other. But I think. The reason why people don't talk about this a lot is just because you cannot put into words the layers of political and social and economic intersections in that place. You know, on one hand, we're filming an idea that was created from Bruce Lee back pre-1970s that did not come to fruition in the early 70s because Hollywood was not ready for an Asian slash Asian American leading man. OK, so 50 years later, Hollywood is finally ready to see Asian-American, not Asians, Asian-Americans or second generation Asians that speak perfect English, that speak 
with no accented dialect, you know, that may not even have ever been to Asia or where they're from. We're filming that show that's crushing down so many racial and stereotypical boundaries in Hollywood, in the motherland where apartheid was abolished. Right, right there, it is, that is so loaded and there's so much beneath that, that I always talk about one story. I was, I was, it was a day off. I was in an Uber in Cape Town going to this one, uh, I think it's the Kirsten Bosch Gardens or something. I, I may be mistaken, but it, it's, this, it's this amazing outdoor experience. The driver, because in South Africa, they have three categories of cultural and social distinction, let's say racial distinction. They have the whites, they have the blacks, and they have the coloreds. You know, and, and to us, in, you know, in the West and in the U.S., you know, you, you mentioned the word colored and, and that gives a certain connotation. But in South Africa, they're very proud to have the whites, the blacks and the coloreds. And it's not it's not derogatory and everyone's comfortable with it. I mean, and, and if you're a quote unquote, a colored person, you're you're proud because you're a colored person. That's your category, so to speak. Um, again, not to get too political, but I'm just trying to set the tone so I don't offend any of our listeners out there. Um, but I had a black driver, which means he was tribal. Black means tribal in, in, in South Africa. So he was part of, he was a, he's, he re, he's related to the Zulu tribe. So his experience growing up in South Africa is going to be completely different than the white experience and the colored experience. We're in the Uber and he starts asking me, you know, am I here for business or pleasure and whatnot? And, and long story short, I finally get to the point where I tell him, you know, I, I'm filming, I'm an actor, I'm filming a show here. And he asked me what show. And I said, oh, actually, it's a show called Warrior, which was created and, and, and envisioned by Bruce Lee. I'm like, do you know who Bruce Lee is? Because that's just my way of trying to be polite without insulting someone that everyone in the world, especially this random black Uber driver in South Africa, <laughs> will know who Bruce Lee is. So just out of my politeness, I asked him, do you know who Bruce Lee is? He pulls the car over and turns around and goes, are you asking me if I know who Bruce Lee is? I said, yes. I said, you know, Bruce Lee. He's like, of course I know who Bruce Lee is. He's like, when we were kids during apartheid, we used to sneak into the white theaters to watch the Bruce Lee films. Wow. wow. Then we would go outside. Granted, I haven't told him anything. I just said, I'm an actor doing a, a show created by Bruce Lee. That's all I gave him. He's telling me, we used to, after we used to watch these movies, in South Africa, which we were not allowed to see. And obviously we could be severely punished if we got caught. We would then go back to our neighborhoods and we would pretend to be Bruce Lee and Bolo. Wow. Uh... And we would fight each other. <laughs> and so then wow. we it up by going, who are you playing? What's oh, man. <laughs> it's funny you said that because I asked you, do you know who Bruce Lee is? I would never even think you would know who Bolo is. <laughs> and so I said, I'm playing Bolo. And he freaked out. You know, he, wow. he we, we took photos. He gave me his That's number. Awesome. Like, it was such a crazy experience because, you know, this was an older gentleman, yeah. you know, but I saw the kid in him come out all of a sudden. Yeah. And that history of someone who experienced years of being discriminated and, and, and living in an apartheid government to now being free and now having me in the back seat talking about Bruce Lee and Bolo. Wow. So to me, that would be a highlight because, you know, we could talk about filming and action this and, you know, the cast and how we got along. But 
I had that experience outside of the cast, outside of filming. And to me, that that was so tremendous to 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 just my overall experience in Cape Town, you know, because I was talking to a real person that had been through stuff that I will never have to go through in my yeah. life. You know what yeah. I mean? So it, it was such a cool experience. To that say is that. such a cool experience. But can you match that with a low? <laughs> That's the real question here. <laughs> um, I, I hope not because that would be awful. <laughs> I know. It would be pretty low. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the low, I mean, you know, the, the, the obvious low was that we wrapped season one and we cut, we came home. We came back to reality, right? But the, uh, the, the low, gosh, I, I mean, I'm not just saying this because we're doing this right now. But, okay, yeah, we can talk about it because it already happened in episode four. This is my low for Warrior season one. In attributing to Bolo Young, the original guy, I made a choice to physically attribute this man and honor this man. We all know Bolo Young from Enter the Dragon, like I said earlier, Chung Lee from Bloodsport. We all know he's known for his massive pectoral chest. Okay. And, and, and it was the first time when I was a kid that I ever saw this guy pec flex. Okay. And I used to be like, so intrigued with like, how do you, how does a man make his chest move <laughs> like that? I, you know, as, as an infant, I was like, my chest is not moving. And I'm trying. <laughs> the only thing that's moving are my shoulders right now. Right. So I made a choice where, my flashback scene in episode four, I'm shirtless. Uh-huh. And in that scene, I told the stunt coordinator, Brett, and all the camera guys, I said, I'm going to pec flex so <laughs> many times in this shot to honor the real Bolo Young that it's going to make it. Okay? And we have this huge, because, you know, that scene, when after it's edited, is only is less than a minute, I believe. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing, though. We were, thank you for that. We were, <laughs> we were, we shot that thing for a whole day. We had a whole day to shoot that thing. Uh, we had some time constraints here and there, but at the end of the day, we, we had blocked out a whole day to shoot that scene that got basically edited down to one minute or less. In the beginning of that scene, originally, there's a standoff between me and my opponent. And in that standoff, I <laughs> my pecs about 20 times, okay? <laughs> Because I was like, I'm going to give the editor no choice to put one of these in. So my low is in episode four, none of my flexes made the final edit. There you go. That's that's my absolute. But I completely am so proud of how they put that scene together and the transitions they used and and just the coloring and everything that um, it's not really a, a downer to me, but. For purposes of this discussion, yes, that is the Thanks, and tune in next week for another Need to Know session at the Crib. Follow us on Twitter at Strike Back Crib. Out. Out.